hosting basketball games in and of itself is a challenge. You've got six different venues um, on that first weekend. You've got multiple hotel rooms. Um, you've got TV broadcast. You've got to manage around. You've got to move these teams with 150 different charter buses in our downtown. What is the what does the life look like inside of the controlled environment? How do you enrich that to make it special? What makes this special in Indy? You know, what are the community activities that are going to bring people back downtown? The Indianapolis region hosts the entire 2020 NCAA Division One men's basketball tournament. You're listening to Indiana Sports Corp CEO Ryan Vaughn, who, along with Visit Indy CEO Leonard Hoops, are my guests. We talk about NCAA March Madness, aka Mask Madness, on this special episode of Michael Loves Indy. <laughs> Hi, friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. I cannot believe it. In a week, the 2020 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Division One will be hosted entirely in Indianapolis, or at least in the Indianapolis region. There will be some games in Bloomington, Indiana, and West Lafayette, Indiana. And Divisions One, Two, and Three will be hosted entirely within the state of Indiana. This will provide a huge boost to our city, a huge boost to our hotels, restaurants, and I'm going to brag on Indianapolis a little bit. I really think we're the best city to pull this off, to be able to do it safely with an army of volunteers. And I had some questions on how did this opportunity come about? How did Indianapolis win this opportunity? Um, what are some of the, what's a behind-the-scenes stories that we should be paying attention to as we host the tournament in the next three weeks? And I couldn't think of two better people to talk through that with us. One is my friend Ryan Vaughn. He is the CEO of the Indiana Sports Corp. Ryan's had a career in law and in politics at a very young age. He was an elected city county councilor and the president of the Indianapolis City County Council. Uh, He also served as chief of staff to our previous mayor, Greg Ballard. And uh, the Indiana Sports Corp is the entity who helps Indianapolis compete for these large-scale sporting events and uh, stage them. And uh, in addition, I wanted to have Leonard Hoops, who's the CEO of our Convention Visitors Bureau, visit Indy. Leonard has has spent many years in the industry. He has led Indianapolis's Convention Visitors Bureau for 10 years after a long career and stops in places like Sacramento and San Francisco. And he's going to talk about why Indianapolis is considered a top 10 convention city. The, the industry provides tens of thousands of jobs. And at a time when the entire world has um, been suffering, uh, experiencing economic challenges, this opportunity for Indianapolis could not come along at a better time. And as we see, you know, people getting vaccinated and here in the Midwestern states, the weather is getting better. I really think that this event over the next three weeks is going to be something that we're talking about for decades to come. So anyway, it's a it's a loose, informal conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, conversation about NCAA Mask Madness with Ryan Vaughn and Leonard Hoops.
for people listening who don't who don't spend haven't spent a lot of time in Indianapolis, I will ask um, if you could describe. Well, I guess first question is how how did Indianapolis attain really top ten convention city status um, for for both of you? Like if we, as what if getting to present day twenty twenty one, you know what are those what are those major major events uh, on the timeline that that got us here that you would want people to know about? Well, I think it, it coincides with Ryan having become council president. I think there's a high, high correlation to that. The Vaughn years, as we call them. Vaughn years, yeah. Um, separate but, podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it's funny because Indianapolis has a history of being a top 10 convention city that goes back to the 1920s. So uh, we were formed as an entity within the Chamber of Commerce back in 1923. And... Um, Back in those days, there is a history book uh, that actually documents the convention industry that our industry association, Destinations International, put together a couple of years ago. Um, and in that book, Indianapolis is listed as a top five convention city in the 1920s. And it all went back to the fact that back then, the way you got around the country, if you were going to be at a national event, you did it by railroad. And of course, we were a railroad hub in Indianapolis and in, in Indiana. And so that continued really until the air age. And then we fell off the map. And so not many of us have been around long enough to know that history. But uh, we, we were there. We fell off the map. And then in the 60s, when the Capital Improvement Board was formed, uh, they decided they were going to pursue a convention center uh, build. And that opened in 1972. And, and 1974, I think it was Market Square Arena came along. 79, the Sports uh, Commission, the Indiana uh, Sports, uh, the uh, Ryan Runs in 83. We built uh, the RCA Dome or the Hoosier Dome and then got the team the year after. Uh, we have the Pan Am Games. And then we've had five expansions of the convention center in that time between 1972 and 2011 when the JW Marriott opened up. And then 2014 is the year that USA Today, very conveniently for us, decided to do the survey of who is the best convention city and we want. And they haven't done the survey ever since and we hope to never do it again. But, you know, for people, for people not from Indianapolis listening to this, it's like definitely Mayor Luger in the late 60s and 70s, definitely Hudnut. There was, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, there was a lot of thought by the fathers and mothers of the city to concentrate assets, you know, um, employment centers and uh, shopping and everything to have this really compact, walkable downtown. And Leonard, you mentioned, you know, um, a lot of people, the story of Mayor Hudnut building an NFL stadium when they had no team resulting in the Colts. But it seems like, I mean, there's a there's a continuity, especially 70s, 80s, 90s to today over now a couple of generations, right? Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to defer to Ryan having worked for mayoral administration to talk about kind of that consistency. But I will add just one thing about Mayor Hudnut. When he was uh, still with us and he was uh, in town for the dedication of the statue at Hudnut Commons, I was lucky enough to get to sit next to him at the breakfast that morning that uh, Terry Sywood had put together and um, I introduced myself. I'd never met him and he hadn't met me. And, and uh, I told him that, you know, I was the Bill McGowan uh, from, from this era. And um, he said he hadn't, he just couldn't believe of all the things that we did. He was shocked with all the great cities in America that we were the number one ranked convention city. Uh, that was unfathomable to him. And he was so proud of where the city was. And uh, it felt so good to be able to have that conversation with him, but he was, proud to see where we were decades later after that era yeah ryan that you know the sports and i know they kind of go hand in hand conventions and sports and the growth but um i know a lot of people point to 
the tens of thousands of people who volunteered to bring the Pan Am games here in the 1980s. There's the, Leonard mentioned it, the NCAA uh, actually moving here in the year 2000. Is that right? Um, and the there's this entity that I didn't know about until I moved here, the Indiana Sports Corporation, guiding a lot of those efforts, which you now lead. Um, can you provide a little more context, for, especially for people who maybe don't know Indianapolis well? Yeah, so, I mean, Leonard touched on it a little bit, but really kind of late 70s, <clears throat> Indianapolis, you know, suffering from massive kind of disinvestment, suburban flight, like a lot of major cities, had a civic leadership group that made a very intentional decision to resurrect or invest in downtown, uh, particularly around sports and amateur sports as a way to keep some vibrancy in the city. Um, you know, as goes Indianapolis, so goes the state of Indiana, Indiana economically. And so it's a, it's a huge, um, you know, and, and very important element to sort of keep on track and, and, uh, you know, Learn to mention some of these things, but really what drove it, what drove the success initially was just the massive investment in facilities, right? So Leonard talked about Market Square Arena, but it's also true that Major Taylor Velodrome, Carroll Track and Field Stadium, IU Natatorium, all built in, you know, 82, uh, basically put us in position to host these national events, the National Sports Festival, Pan Am Games. I mean, you can be the best destination city in the country, but if you don't have a place to play, it doesn't matter, right? And so it's, it's the courage to build a football stadium without a football team. It's, uh, you know, it's going from Market Square Arena to Banker's Life, from the Hoosier Dome to Lucas Oil, and just having constant competence across administrations, regardless of the nature of political leadership, Republican or Democrat, believing in this strategy, recognizing that it's our, it's really our leading brand, right? I mean, you know, when I was in the mayor's office, we did a national survey on, you know, what is Indianapolis's brand? Um, and that's sometimes a hard conversation, but, but by two standard deviations, it was sports and racing. You know, that's how people know us. And so, um, you know, not deviating from that, but actually buying into it and double down and talking about all the community benefit is, is re really what's allowed us to be successful. And I didn't appreciate till I moved here now 20 years ago. Sports is a major industry cluster for the, for the, the, the city and the region. And you think about, Motorsports, as you mentioned, motor speedway, racing teams, a lot of the technology. Now NCAA headquarters, an underrated part of that sector are all the service sector jobs. Mayor Ballard was on here, episode ten, which I really, I really enjoyed. It was great to catch up with him, and he, he, he did mention, you know, part of he was talking about the Pacers keeping the Pacers here in the long term, but he was talking about an underrated piece being service jobs, hospitality jobs. Leonard, this is your this is your sector. And that is a major, it's a it's a major economic sector for us, right? Well one of the um silver linings in a very small way of the pandemic is that has become really apparent to people how important that was to the overall quality of life and our and our overall economic health. Uh, you know, in our industry, and it's not just Indianapolis, but anyone who has uh, San Francisco, Orlando, Vegas, you name it. Uh, we talk about the ABC uh, job uh, ladder uh, that, that this industry provides. There's a ton of jobs that are just a job. And uh, a kid going to IUPUI um, wants to wait tables or he wants to be a front desk person at a hotel or any number of things. But that helps that kid get uh, he or she through school. And it, and that may not lead to anything else, but it also maybe refines their personal skills and all sorts of other things, conflict management, you name it that will lead them to success in financial services or engineering or something else. Then there's the B, the better job. So there's some cases where somebody starts off 
just work at a banquet in the ballroom of the hotel. And the next thing you know, they're the banquet captain. The next thing you know, they're in charge of catering. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a salary job making 50 grand a year that they didn't think it was going to turn into that. And then there's the C, the career. Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories is our, our friend Eugene Hilliard, um, African-American gentleman, uh, ex-Marine, ran the Homewood Suites downtown, uh, LGBTQ. And um, Eugene got himself up from a front desk all the way to becoming the GM of a hotel and now left Indianapolis, unfortunately, a few years ago, maybe a year ago now, because he became a regional vice president for a hospitality company. The industry is littered with these stories of a job turning into a better job, turning into a career. And the pandemic has really made it clear to folks just how critical this industry was to the overall quality of life in Indianapolis. Yeah. I think, sorry, Michael, just to interrupt you, but there's, there's like another element to that too, which is the companies that are both founded and grow here because of the industry, because of the conventions and the sports that come here, right? So, Think back to like a, a sport graphics is a great example. Here's a company that, you know, in 1979 started as literally a printing company that made business cards. And, you know, last week broke our own record by putting the largest bracket on the side of the JW. And they do all the look and the feel and the decor and the signage for multiple conferences across the country, for Super Bowls, for, for Final Fours, um, literally across the country. And it grew here because of the relationships they were able to develop as major events came through, as they were a service provider for for events that travel, they became their traveling partner. Um, and there's multiple examples of that, um, which are really special. And Ryan, and one, and one more aspect, one more aspect of that, if I could add, uh, Ryan, is that um, the you know when John Lecklader was the CEO of Lilly, he would tell me on a regular basis that when we have a major sporting event in town, when we have a big convention in town, some national association with fifty thousand people. Gen Con or whatever, those are all things that helped him recruit talent. Uh, he wasn't going to get some scientist uh, from Switzerland or some, uh, you know, a great lab uh, uh, expert uh, from somewhere um, if to come to a city that didn't have things going on. And so every, every time Ryan and his team had success or, or visit India and our team had success, that helped him recruit talent, and that made Lily more successful. There's also a um, a volunteer culture here that is really significant. And I, I noticed it when I first moved here because um, to pull off, and I, I want to get to this, this um, one of once in a lifetime opportunity that the NCAA has given us in a minute, but there's my, my understanding is whether it was the Super Bowl nine years ago, final fours, um, numerous uh, big 10 championships, uh, big 10 men's and women's basketball tournaments, things like that. There's like, there's, there's a, there's a network of tens of thousands of volunteers that are there that we're able to draw upon every time this happens. And is, you know, what is, what, how, how, how who are they? Where, what is that like? How do they exist? And how do you corral them? Yeah, they're everybody, which is the really amazing thing. You know, I, I can tell you story after story of people, you know, um, when we hosted the Super Bowl, a friend of mine named Ed Holleran, um, Ed's a partner in a law firm downtown, uh, was a driver, right? And he was basically driving my peer back from uh, from the city to the airport. And he was listening to them sort of like complain about, oh, my God, we can't do this. Like, how are we supposed to possibly, you know, follow some of this stuff? I'm sorry, it was Houston, not New Orleans. And um, and they, they started talking to him about, you know, how do you get all these volunteers? What do you do? Are you like a are you a cab driver? Do you volunteer? And he's like, 
no, I'm a partner in a law firm. And they were blown away by the idea that a partner in a law firm would volunteer. I mean, we'll have Big Ten football every year. Uh, Billy would be upset with me for telling this story, but I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast. But like, Bill Brooks is an amazing volunteer for the Indiana Sports Group. He will stand in the basement of Lucas Oil Stadium at 2 o'clock in the morning, grab Ohio State players' gear and shuffle it on their bus as these players walk by, not realizing that his name is in the ring of honor inside of Lucas Oil Stadium as one of uh, Indianapolis Colts' greatest wide receivers, right? There's just a, a humility and a service uh, about our volunteers, which is incredible, and it catches people off guard. And it, it's also, to your point on scale, I think speaks to a question you asked earlier about how do we keep the focus and the momentum on sports, mayor after mayor, governor after governor, you know, administration after administration. It's because the community really loves it, and they're invested in it. And so there's no political consequence to buying in. In fact, it's a benefit to be supportive because generally the community is very supportive. Yeah. It's such a unique culture. And like you, Michael, I am a, a transplant came, coming here 10 years ago from San Francisco and having worked in three cities doing these kinds of jobs before Indy. And the culture here is just so unique. It's not, it's not even just a general Midwestern culture. It's a very Indianapolis culture. One of the things we hear specifically from the NFL and from the NCAA and others uh, that Ryan here is a ton and that I hear a ton is that not only do we get a ton of volunteers, but they show up. Uh, you hear these stories in other cities where they're really not volunteers, they're getting paid, and then they may or may not show up. And if we have 40 volunteers for a shift, 40 volunteers show up. Or 39 if it's a bad day because the other one's in the hospital. <laughs> that, that, you know, and I want to, in, in a second, I want to get into this this opportunity with the having the entire men's NCAA tournament here. But uh, Leonard, you know, Helen Huber, uh, the Bay Area, my wife, she described it. She had been here for a few years after we got married, and she described it as, you know, when things happen here, you just feel like you're a part of it. You feel like a, a you feel like you own a piece of it, you know, and it, it is it is a great it is a great culture here. And that is one thing for people listening. I thing I've learned is it's like sports here. It's about sports, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's about it's about sports, but it's not even about the game. It's about trying to bring as many people together as we possibly can. And that's just something that's been really exciting uh, being here the last couple of decades. I, I know people are and I, I had promised to give people some of the inside scoop on how does this even happen? You know what I mean? That that um, the uh, entire men's NCAA tournament is taking place in Indianapolis, with a couple of exceptions, with some games an hour south and an hour north, and then within the state of Indiana, um, you know, D Division Two, II, Division Three, all all taking place here. So I I do want to ask you guys, what were the first? The, and and Leonard, I appreciate what you were saying is hospitality industry everywhere had been decimated due to COVID, and we're you know we were surviving, and and your organization's doing some great work. Um, to to just keep people afloat, but then how, what were the first whispers of this opportunity? I'm so curious. I, I think Ryan and I were both getting intel that the NCAA Men's Committee was considering a single site, and and clearly we knew Indianapolis being the uh, already the host for the Final Four for 2021 was going to be in that consideration, and we were both getting uh, some back channeling toward that. And then one day it kind of became official. Um, I got a call specifically uh, because they knew we needed to clear the convention center. We already had the dates and the space wrapped up for the final four and uh, the hotels needed, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there was not going to be any need for a local organizing committee if we couldn't get the entire center cleared out. 
uh, and get 11 halls and 1.2 million square feet of total space between all the halls and the ballrooms and the meeting rooms and things like that, completely available for the NCAA. And that took about three weeks uh, from early November until you know a little past Thanksgiving. And then it became official um, uh, official that they were negotiating with Indianapolis and Indiana and the Sports Corp and Visit Indy and the CIB and everybody else in early December. Uh, when we got to the point to where uh, we were able to communicate that we had had enough conversations with uh, the various parties that needed to be moved, with the various hotels that needed to be able to host this sort of thing, that it was all doable. Uh, they just simply wanted to know, because there, there was plenty of cities beating down the NCAA's doors saying we can do this. Uh, but the NCAA, uh, with its headquarters here, with the Final Four already scheduled to be here, and with Indianapolis having demonstrated time and time again that we can do these sorts of things, uh, even on short notice, um, you know, once we got that those decks cleared, you know, Ryan and his team uh, put put it into high gear uh, to start making it, you know, all the granular stuff the, the reality. We, we just had to kind of kind of get everything cleared out, and, and we were able. To, uh, that's interesting, and that's so. This is one thing that a lot of people wouldn't know. So the the first, so if I'm following you, the the first the first sign of can we even do this was all about space and and facilities and hotel rooms. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you can't, if we can't free up essentially the convention center to become a giant student union, uh, you know, a student athlete uh, campus uh, where they can have practice courts and and virtual classrooms and team meeting rooms and things like that, and then we can't get the hotels to clear out any of what they would call self-contained groups, groups yep. that meet just in those hotels, so that they the hotels can become that that controlled environment that the NCAA wanted uh, for safety's sake. Then there's no point. In, in moving forward if you can't clear those decks because uh, there were definitely other cities that were saying we could do that. So once once you do the math and determine, okay, we, c- we can pull this off, we've got the the, um, the hotel capacity, everything like that, Ryan, what happens then? Yeah, then it's about what needs to be done to make it special, right? I mean, uh, and I don't mean to be flippant about it, but like hosting basketball games in and of itself is a challenge. You've got six different venues um, on that first weekend. You've got multiple hotel rooms. Um, you've got TV broadcast. You've got to manage around. You've got to move these teams with 150 different charter buses in our downtown. And you just kind of kind of start working through the logistic issues. Uh, how do you how do you feed people? How do you get them to practice? Um, you know what what is the what does the life look like inside of the controlled environment? How do you enrich that to make it special? Um, what what makes this special in Indy? You know, what are the community activities that are going to bring people back downtown? And what kind of, how are people going to remember it who didn't go to the games and who wanted to be a part of it? And, and, uh, really just start building all that out. And, you know, normally, you know, we would work with Leonard and his team and, uh, the folks at the CIB and we would assemble all of this in like a, a bid, right? It would be a, you know, somewhere between, you know, one and five three ring binders full of information on all of these topics that talks about how we're going to execute this plan. And we would go and present it with a fancy video and, and smooth talking words by a guy named Hoops when you're bidding on a college game. Right. But we had we had none of that. Right. Like we had two months to say, hey, get it together and make it make it special. Um, and that's kind of where we're at. I mean, we're a little bit building the airplane while we're flying it. Um, because there's no manual on how to how to host a tournament in a pandemic in a single site. But uh, I really think ultimately, yes, we already had the final four. Yes, the NCAA is here. But I think the special sauce is uh, the NCAA knows that we work together as a community differently than the peer organizations we compete with. And it was foreseeable that there were going to be meaningful challenges to overcome, even if they weren't known. 
and you want to rely on the people that you know can work together to overcome them. And that, that I think has been the difference. Because the teams, the teams have to stay basically cloistered, right? When not in the games, is that correct? So it's gotta be, it's almost like I'm, I'm picturing, I'm picturing staff and volunteers helping them, helping coordinate their kind of entrance and exit from different spaces and corridors and stuff like that. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, there will be uh, ambassadors for each team. So an individual assigned to them to help make sure they go to testing on time, go to practice on time, get their laundry done on time, get their meals on time, uh, participate in uh, whatever kind of organized event inside the controlled environment. Um, so there's a whole logistics inside, right? Just just team movement when you've got 68 teams and five hotels and limited practice facilities is really challenging. So, I mean, there are a lot of unique once in a once in a lifetime hopefully knock on wood uh challenges you have to overcome when you create that very very tight environment it requires you know speaking speaking of volunteers it requires people to give up literally three weeks of their life to go inside of these you know this controlled environment and be committed to a specific sometimes mundane often repetitive task of cleaning basketballs and floors and you know uh, things of that nature and to your to your question, uh, Michael, um, with the student athletes and anybody in the traveling parties, the 34 per team, uh, they will basically be either in the hotel, in a skywalk, in the convention center, on a shuttle, or in an arena, and that is their life for that period. Wow. So it. So um, I'm imagining there were lessons from Orlando in the NBA bubble. Did, did you get? Did you guys have people studying uh, the the logistics of keeping the players safe and separate from each other in Orlando? We did. Obviously, the Pacers were a big help in sort of consulting on this. The NBA generally, the NCAA has their own independent relationship, both with USA Basketball and the NBA. Um, there were key lessons learned. Uh, you know, Even Adam Silver came on Economic Club um, not too long ago just to share some of those. And it's really just being transparent with the people that are heading into the bubble, what, what life's going to be like. Um, focus on the things that are you know, probably important to all of us. Quality of food. Um, you know. <laughs> Uh, th- things to occupy your time, whether it's books or esports or you know what have you, um, and then just be thoughtful about what are those special we call them in the business surprise and delight moments, right? You know, you have a celebrity pop in virtually to to speak to to, to uh, players or athletes, and um, you know just stuff like that to make special moments because you want you want. At the other day, you want players, coaches, staff, anyone that was in the controlled environment to reflect five years from now. Uh, man, it was hard, but man, Indy did a great job, and that was special, right? Like that's that's the feeling you want them to have when they think about the only single site March Madness tournament in the history of the sport. So, um, earn media, you know. So when when people when we first got the game, um, I. I thought about, and we didn't know at that time that we'd be able to have what 25% capacity, which is still a good number of fans. But, but I, I thought about, this is pretty cool because this is going to be three weeks of media coverage for Indianapolis and Leonard, where, where, how did, how did you, like, as you were looking from a 30,000 foot level at, at that, at that kind of opportunity, what was going through your mind and how are you thinking about it now? Well, that was one of the things, even before we knew fans were coming, Ryan and I talked about this, uh, the mayor's office, the governor's office, you, uh, downtown Indy, we were all talking about this uh, because the podcast listeners may not know, but we get together pretty regularly every week. Uh, our three organizations plus some others talk all the time. So 
um, we were all in agreement that this was more than about direct spend for a couple of weeks. Uh, that is incredibly important. We Our industry needs that. Our city needs that. The hotels, the restaurants, the retailers, you name it. Uh, people need jobs and hours and wages. Uh, so I don't want to diminish in any way the fact that this will likely generate over $100 million. Um, uh, the, the, the economic benefit was kind of a question for a while uh, before the fans' uh, question got answered. But I'm, I'm, I'm well convinced from my cocktail napkin math uh, this is definitely a hundred million dollar plus event now because uh, if you just look at say thirty five hundred uh, people in an arena uh, for the first round games, most of which will be in Indianapolis, we're talking a hundred thousand people, and we can get into how that will be done safely uh, in another part of this. But that's only a temporary and small part of the benefit. The real benefit, in my opinion, is the the long lasting impact of three to four weeks of intense media coverage. Uh, Ryan and I spend half of our days right now doing that, uh, and we have people who are spokespeople who would normally take all this, but there's too much for them to handle on their own. And um, uh, so the level of, of inquiry and interest in this is amazing. Um, uh, what, somebody from the mayor's office asked on a call yesterday about, you know, what do we attribute this to? And, and my answer was, we are filling a void, a good story void that has been just missing from planet Earth. Uh, for a long time now. And, um, you know, unlike the Super Bowl, which was a shorter time frame in, say, in Tampa, or the NBA bubble, which was in a different part of this pandemic, this is uh, a story um, that is, you know, this is an example of the world emerging from COVID. It's, we're still not there, but we're getting really close and we're going to figure out a way. Uh, and Ryan's got this incredible heavy lift that he leads of how to make it special, um, uh, you know, for these 100,000 folks. Uh, uh, but the, the media benefit of this is probably going to be incalculable. We'll be using uh, not only that, but we'll be turning this into case studies to take a, a group in Washington, D.C., who's thinking about planning a convention in India in the future and saying, look, guys, we hosted 68 teams, never been done before, uh, on a matter of a couple weeks' notice, a couple months' notice. We can host your convention, trust us. Yeah. And Ryan, I know you got you got to have venues, obviously, to do it. And I do for, and this is for people who maybe don't live here. Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play, has has hosted uh, uh, national championship men's and women's multiple times. Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Pacers play. Hinkle Fieldhouse, Butler Bulldogs uh, site of you know Hoosiers uh, was was filmed there too. Um, the the uh, the uh, Coliseum um, at the State Fairgrounds. Which is now a really you know great a great venue. Um, uh, can you how how did how did uh, Indiana University and Purdue get incorporated there? Um, and any are there any other are there any any other interesting tidbits just about the venue selection that people might find interesting? Yeah, so ultimately the men's basketball committee at the NCA decides on the venues, but um, without a doubt, I mean, I would say Mackey Arena and Assembly Hall are two of the top 20, if not top 10, college basketball venues in the country, right? And so you're not walking away from those programs in that moment. Uh, Hinkle is perhaps one of the most, to your point, like it's 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 featured in the number one movie on ESPN Sports Movies, right? It's, it, it has its own, it has its own iconic uh, look and history. It's fantastic. The field houses or the uh, fairgrounds are great. And then, you know, Banker's Life is, um, I think, you know, one of the best NBA arenas, like it's, it's super intimate for basketball. 
um, and, and Lucas Oil, and people forget this about Lucas Oil, but Lucas Oil was actually built and designed with the NCAA at the table, and it was it was built for the purpose of hosting Final Fours. Like we knew we were going to host them, we knew we were going to chase them, and we wanted to create an experience, primarily for football, for sure. But in those moments where we had an opportunity to host the Final Four, we were going to create the best Final Four experience we could in any football stadium. Uh, it's, there's a lot of interesting stories. I mean, when the news started to break, um, a lot of people immediately reflected on our great high school tradition, right? Indiana has an incredible high school basketball tradition. Nine of the 10 largest high school basketball um, gyms in the country are located in Indiana. Some of them are incredibly historic, like, you know, addicts and others. And people wanted us to, to advocate for putting these college games in these venues, uh, not fully appreciating that the size of a high school basketball court is a lot different than a college basketball court. And so you just couldn't do it, right? Also not fully appreciating that the NCAA is a member institution whose members are colleges and universities. So, uh, you know, on that first weekend, you've got a lot of different games taking place at the same time. So you had to expand beyond the venues we had in Marion County. Uh, it made sense to go to those Big Ten schools with those amazing, um, you know, venues. And then you've got Ball State, which is kind of sitting back here as a backup in case something goes down. So we're blessed, really, in Indiana to have a lot of great institutions of higher ed that have those facilities. Um, any, uh, I, I'm looking, any any kind of stories just about in the background? Well, here, okay, so here's one. Either of you can answer this. It was not a foregone conclusion that Indianapolis was going to get this, right? And I don't want to ask you anything confidential or anything like that, but I mean, there, there are, I, I strongly believe we're the best city that can pull this off, but it was never just a foregone conclusion. Is that correct? Yeah. What was really obvious off the bat uh, was that if we couldn't host the entire thing, we weren't going to keep our final four. That declared to Ryan and to me um, and to others working on this that this was an all or nothing. Uh, so we couldn't just say, hey, we can't clear the decks um, and go off to Orlando and we'll see you uh, at the end of March. Um, and so uh, without question, this was a all hands uh, type of thing. And, you know, and again, there were only a couple of us, Andy Mal and Ryan um, and uh, maybe a, a, a staff person or two from our team. So we're all working on this for a while. And, um, you, you know, it was one of those things where we didn't want to screw it up. We, we just wanted to figure out what we needed to do so that the mechanism could, could be in place to where we could then start planning all the cool stuff that Ryan's been talking about. Uh, so, yeah, th- we, we just uh, – this was an all or nothing when, when it came down to it. What I would say to that, add to it, is unfortunately that's true with just about everything we do, right? Like there's always some competition out there that we find out indirectly chirping in the ear of our customers, whether it's the Big Ten, the NCAA. I would imagine I'm making this up, Leonard. You can validate this. A, a Gen Con, an FDIC, a Do It Best Hardware Show. Like people across the country have seen the success that this strategy has had for Indianapolis, and they want to replicate it, and, and and they're not afraid to compete with us. And so they will very directly approach our customers, our friends, our longtime relationships, and say, "Hey, we think we can do it better." And it's only because we deliver and we stay close to our friends that we that we continue to enjoy that opportunity. And and in full disclosure, we do the same thing, right? So we're, we're always knocking on the door trying to get events away from other cities as well. And so we know that goes on on that other end. And one of the things Ryan and I talk about with entities like ours is that we basically control nothing. 
We have no facilities we control. We have no, uh, you know, it, it's not our decision. What we have to do is 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 play that ombudsman or middleman, uh, bringing everything together and having everybody agree. The hotels sometimes will be like, "What kind of deal?" You know, I don't want to do this deal, and I'm like, well, "You need to do this deal, or let's try to get you a few more dollars, and then will you do the deal?" Um, and, and it's a lot of that going back and forth until finally, and you know, you're going to get there, but sometimes the process of getting there is, is a bit painful for a week or two. Yeah. It's, it's such a crazy time right now as we have this conversation in the first week of March, you know, we're like it's day to day on the availability of vaccines, which seems like, I mean, thank God it's happening fast. Um, it's day to day on, you know, the, uh, some of the requirements, you know, we found out recently 25% um, capacity fan capacity allowed at the at the NCAA tournament games. I think was it just announced today? Big Ten tournament will allow some fans. Yeah, and so I know there's a host of um, you know health and safety regs that, that go along with that. But Ryan and Leonard, you both you both referred to kind of the cool stuff downtown that to accommodate those fans. We're gonna have we're still gonna have a lot of people coming in from other cities. Um, you know, if you're whether you live here and are spending time in downtown or coming in from elsewhere. What 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 are the, what are uh, some of the things that folks should should keep top top of mind, especially because we're anticipating nice weather just as they walk around downtown? Is it any guy? I'll, I'll say you know I'll, Ryan I think can speak to to the extent that there can be activations and that's still up in the air. He'll, he can talk to that. I, I will say what our role at Visit Indy is is we're trying to remind them of the stuff that already exists, right? So if you've got a family in town, you can go to the Children's Museum, you can go to the zoo. You can go to Wide River State Park and the attractions that are there. Um, there is increased capacity now. I don't think we'll be fully 100% um, open, but we're going to be masked and we're going to have uh, these things. So there is a there is a kind of a baseline of existing assets that, that makes Indianapolis great, no matter what the situation uh, that we're going to be uh, steering them to. But uh, I know Ryan can speak better to as to what they're trying to work on in terms of, of surprising and delighting the hundred thousand that are going to show up. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be pretty special. I mean, the sort of large-scale, organized, shoulder-to-shoulder dancing at a concert is not going to happen, right? So the, the traditional tailgate, uh, things like that are are off the table. But um, I think we've done a really good job of finding creative ways for people to engage safely in what's happening downtown. You know, we've got um, a, a tours that you can take to, you know, understand more about Indiana's basketball history. We're going to have live performances from artists. Um, we're going to commission four murals downtown to come celebrate the history of basketball. Uh, there's a shining the light, sort of evolving kind of show on the circle. So there's there's going to be plenty to do. Um, in addition to all the assets that we already have that are, to Leonard's point, sort of opening back up more fully, uh, which 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 constitute our regular visitor experience on any given weekend. So it's it's going to be special. Um, you know, tomorrow morning. And tomorrow at one and, and Saturday morning, we're, I'm leading a volunteer cleanup effort. We're going to beautify downtown. We're going to, you know, put mulch, pick up trash, uh, you know, just really kind of put uh, Indy's best Sunday dress on, if you will, as we head into this very busy, uh, uh, March time. And so I, I'm very excited. I think not only are we going to be welcoming people from across the country, uh, to this special event, but if I'm being perfectly candid, I think we're going to be welcoming people in our own community who haven't been downtown uh, since maybe last March or have been down on a, downtown on a very limited basis who are going to be reminded about how special our, our 
our downtown is. You know, I was in a meeting earlier today where uh, Jim Morris, uh, who, who three of us know really well, said, you know, downtown is really Indiana's neighborhood. It's where we all come together, right? It's where people gather for special events. And it's, and it's you know, high time in my mind, and I think in the minds of many others, that we quit viewing one another as potential threats to our health and remember what it feels like to be a community that celebrates together. And I think we can do that safely. And we got plenty of activations and opportunities uh, in the month of March to do that. I kind of caught a glimpse of it uh, Saturday. Leonard, I was driving around with our oldest son. Downtown was packed to the extent that I was like, man, I hope people were masked. Most of them were. And your neighborhood, Leonard, Mass Ave, as you know, was packed. Um, Fountain Square. So it's all... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, that's what I was going to jump in with, because as you guys both know, I live downtown and all three of us work downtown. And so we probably know downtown throughout the past 12 months better than most. Um, and it's never been anywhere near as bad as people who haven't been downtown believe it to be. And so yeah. a great opportunity for people to come see the reality. Um, yeah. And there have been improvements on top of the fact that there was a misperception of what the state of downtown was like. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes open. And people thrilled to, to to see that downtown is alive and kicking. It's like the old Mark Twain quote about the, you know, the, the reports of its demise have been greatly exaggerated. I think all three of us and many others knew uh, that sooner or later that we were going to get back, uh, that our downtown, uh, this was not going to be some paradigm shift where people aren't going to come downtown anymore. Uh, and then this, what's great about this event in particular, that's a real catalyst, uh, maybe launching that a little sooner than just purely you know, waiting for everybody to be vaccinated. And so, yeah. It's a super great opportunity, and it's really incredibly exciting that this can be um, that linchpin type of event to get people back here again, and and, uh, I can't wait. I I think it's going to be great. I know it's been nine years since the Super Bowl, and I know a lot's happened since then. A lot of huge events have happened since then, but it's almost like, I I don't know. I think think it's going to be like that, except it's going to be with people a little more spread out, but now sustained over three weeks, because I I do agree. I, I like it was a little bit jarring driving around last weekend, seeing the sheer number of people in the downtown because it was like, <laughs> but, but I, I think there's that, I think there's that amount of pent up energy. You know what I mean? And people are, people's family members are getting vaccine vaccines and, you know, getting reunited with family members. I don't know. I think it's, it feels like we're catching this wave, like at exactly the right time. Well, the, I just got saw a report um, for hotel occupancy uh, nationally for the first two months of the year. And we're the fifth highest downtown hotel occupancy in the country. And it's coming back to those events you were talking about, uh, Michael, that we've had basically every weekend since the second weekend of January, there's been something going on, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 volleyball players, gymnasts, uh, cheerleading competitions, whatever you name it. And, uh, and then this is going to be the cherry on top of that, you know, like none other. One of the things Ryan and I have been talking about, um, that he and I agree on that it's funny because you'll hear some senior people at the NCAA basically are like i wonder if anybody's going to come to these games since we're still in a pandemic and ryan and i are like uh, we'll take the over on that um there's no question that there is going to be more people looking for tickets here than even with the 25 percent capacity that there will be tickets available and so that activation and the ability to do and see things in the meantime will be critical because even with the nba bubble and even with the super bowl you know the nba bubble was families so that was just basically everybody involved in playing those games uh there and then you had uh the the Super Bowl, which was a very short duration kind of fan activation with some limited capacity and things like that. This is going to be nearly a month. And uh, so there's going to be a very sustained 
um, effort on our parts, uh, on every all these volunteers, on city and state leaders, uh, to make sure that we have a safe, interesting um, a place to visit for a month. Yeah. Well, never mind the fact so that you've got a few, a handful of Big Ten teams who could win this year. Who, who, you know, their fans are very familiar with Indianapolis. You know, Gonzaga. I feel like I feel like Gonzaga is going to travel really well um, if they've gotten, you know, the, if they if they come into the tournament undefeated. Like the the wide open nature. I know every year it's kind of like anybody could win it, but I feel like this year is particularly wide open with a lot of um, schools. Uh, you know, contending who are going to get one or two seeds who who have been to Indianapolis a lot and their fans travel here a lot. Yeah, and the Big Ten is going to play before March Madness, right? So, I mean, Big right. Ten men and women will be in Indianapolis and they're going to play in Lucas Oil Stadium and Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And, you know, we suspect those fans will travel for that tournament and they'll come back. And uh, it's a very, very deep conference. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, seven or eight teams from the Big Ten make the, make the big dance. So, yeah. It's going to be awesome. I, I One thing I would say, and the, the three of us, because we've been downtown and we, we sort of found our own moment to sort of reintegrate, if you will, if that's the right word, but there really is like a psychological element to getting back in the swing of being downtown and among people, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's important. I, and I said it before, uh, I just feel like I should emphasize it again, but we really need to stop seeing one another as a health threat to each other, right? Like Leonard Hoops is not a health threat to me. Leonard Hoops is the same guy that I had lunch with and traveled with and pitched, did pitches with and is an important part of my life and an important part of this community. And, and we're getting to the point where we can do this safely and there's enough vaccines that we need to shift that mentality. And, and that's what I really think inviting people back downtown is all about. Like yeah. it's, it's about sort of reestablishing that baseline human humanity connection and just saying you know to your point like michael you made this point the bubble for the nba in the summer was a pivot like this is a launch right that's you know this is this is coming out of it and finding our way into the, into the future it's not something different and unique it's really the, the beginning of that light at the end of the tunnel in my in my opinion i love that idea it's almost like it's almost like okay use this um, it's almost like this is a this is a this is a big transition point for our community, you know. So if you haven't been downtown in months, use this occasion to be there, be proud, be in these public spaces, you know. Even if you don't have tickets to the game, just to be there, you know, like so, like like uh, hundreds of thousands of people did for the Super Bowl, as almost like a okay, this is like a this is like a transition point to get back to what you know what life is going to be after COVID. I, yep. I love that. Yeah, and I think it's more than a local transition point. It's a national transition point. You know, yeah. there are people uh, who will be glued to, uh, you know, who love this. They love filling out their brackets. They love rooting for their team. They love rooting for whatever team they put in their brackets. Um, there are going to be all these bumper shots on the, on the, in between, uh, on the front and back end of commercials where they show the canal and they show somebody walking around downtown and they show, and hopefully again, uh, it'll be, uh, shown in a way where we are finding the right balance between safety and uh, and enjoying life again, uh, because uh, there's too many folks on in in the world who are putting it on one end of the spectrum or the other. You either can't do anything, right. or you do it all and you you know throw caution to the wind. Uh, I think Indianapolis and Indiana have found a really good balance, and we've been doing it for months now. That have yep. left this point that show you can do it uh, at the right balance in between. There's a Goldilocks zone in there. 
So for, for folks who are not from Indy listening to this, can, I'm going to ask you to brag a little bit on kind of the by the numbers because the stat that you just shared, fifth highest concentration of downtown hotels in the U.S. Is that right, Leonard? No, what, what I was saying is at the, at the end of February, we're the fifth highest hotel occupancy. Fifth highest hotel occupancy. First two months. And the four cities in front of us are all warm cities, warm weather cities. So amazing. In the trend, and it's because we've found that that balance between safety and and some level of being able to do things. Um, we haven't thrown caution to the wind, and we're not and we're not going to. Uh, and at the same time, we haven't said, you know, you just can't do it. We found right. that balance. And, and Ryan uh, and the Sports Corp have been bringing in events like that. We found in the youth sports, it's really been on the backs of competitions, competitions of what uh, allowed us to do this over the past six or seven months. Other stats that you'd want people to know, I'm giving you both a, an opportunity to brag on, whether it's the number of volunteers, uh, anything comes to mind. Well, we're going to play 100 basketball games in less than four weeks, college basketball games only. Um, and I, and I, I'm not a Guinness Book of World Records kind of guy, but I'd have to imagine that's pretty high up there. Yeah. <laughs> Between the Horizon League, Big Ten men's and women's, you know, March Madness in the Final Four. Um, there's not really a day between March 8th and April 5th where we don't have some kind of college competition take place. And uh, I think that's pretty extraordinary. It's going to be a really special moment, selfishly for Indiana Sports Group's mission, but uh, more importantly for the city of Indianapolis. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just remind everybody, Michael, since you want to throw out the accolades, uh, that um, India, Indianapolis has been named uh, one of the top places to visit in America, or actually in the world, um, uh, by both Connie Nass Traveler and uh, Travel and Leisure for 2021. And that was before we got this tournament. Um, so, you know, they scoured the globe. There, you know, there are like places like, uh, you know, in Europe and Asia and South America that are on that list. And Indianapolis is on that list. And that was before we got uh, awarded this event. So, um, you know, that's those are accolades that you work hard to try to get uh, media to pay attention, you know, look at your city and consider us. And so the fact that we're already there with that, uh, as you well know, uh, that uh, our airport once again got named the best airport in America. Uh, and so the folks who are not, who will be flying in uh, to see these games are going to get to experience that. And then, um, I love the fact that, uh, the, the, our friends at Force Graphics and the JW Marriott figured out how to beat their existing world record of largest bracket with a new world's largest bracket, which just looks amazing. Uh, you know, uh, that, that will be the shot that will be. Uh, regularly, go, you know, the TV media in particular will be regularly going to is that incredible graphic on the on the face of our thousand and thirteen room JW Marriott. I and of course, Leonard, you're forgetting that we have by far the greatest chamber of commerce of any city in the country. Right? Nah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know that they publish those rankings, but we know it to be the case. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Based on an oh, internal uh, survey in the city of Indianapolis, we that's were right. number one. That's right, and my mother. Um, <laughs> so. Um, I love it. You know, and again, I would just, I, I love this idea of this, um, you know, national and, and here locally event that is, that's getting people back outside into public spaces, a lot of them into arenas safe, you know, can't emphasize, emphasize that enough, um, into kind of a a look at what our, our post pandemic life is going to look like. I know I, I, I just, I can feel the uh, the pent up energy out there, and I love I love that we're going to be able to showcase this. I, Leonard Ryan, any anything that 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 else that you'd want to mention that we haven't talked about yet? Um, you know, from from the person in Indianapolis who's going to come downtown to some of my relatives in California listening to this right now. 
You know, I, I think for me, you know, what's really important uh, always when we talk about these major events is to make it exceptionally clear that it's a community effort, right? And I, I refer to it as a typical Indianapolis story. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not like either of you. I've not lived other places. I've not had the, the benefit or, or sometimes maybe the detriment of, of the culture of other cities. But I know living here that the way we all work together, the way we treat one another with respect, the way we, we rally around common causes, you know, um, despite our political affiliations, genders, age, uh, it, it all works here because we all care for the city equally and we all put our best foot forward together. And I think that's really special. And when we have moments like this, Sometimes I think unfairly it could it could seem like a sports court moment or it could seem like a visit indie moment. And it's really just an indie moment. And there's a lot of people that do a lot of work behind the scenes that uh, don't always get the recognition they deserve. And so if I could just share that gratitude, I guess that would be my parting shot. I think that's an outstanding shared gratitude right there, Ryan. Uh, you you kind of hit on something there that we've been uh, hashtagging is made for this moment. Right. And Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, for 50 years has been working toward the ability to do something like this. We didn't know we were going to do it this year, but we were made for this moment. We were built this way. Uh, our people operate this way. Our culture works this way. Um, and one thing that I've been thinking about is that despite the fact that we've had decades of hosting events like this, including many Final Fours and the Super Bowl and big conventions and things of that nature, uh, this is such a unique animal in and of itself that no matter what we're doing, there's still things we're not anticipating that are going to come up. Uh, one thing to practice in the training module to, uh, in the, for the lunar lander, it's another thing to land on the moon. Um, and that's and when it's time to actually get down and land on the moon. Um, somebody's going to be scrambling for a drum wrapper to stick into a control panel to make a button work. And we're ready for that. We know, we, we know what we don't know. We know that it's, something's going to happen, but this community is, is, uh, it has a history and has a culture that we know we're going to figure out how to make that work in that time. Yep. People watch on TV. I'm imagining a lot of monument circle shots, probably a lot of our downtown canal shots. Um, I'm imagining like aerials of probably Hinkle Fieldhouse and some, and uh, some of these other venues. What else, what else you guys, I'm just, I'm just thinking ahead to what the, uh, you know, uh, uh, aerial shots and shots of the city are going to show so that people know what they're looking at. A lot of the cap, the Capitol looks beautiful lit up at night for sure. What, uh, what others on well, the bracket? I mean, obviously the bracket, massive I, the, bracket. Yeah. Like the, all those combined probably won't get as much play as the bracket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this thing I'll, I'll, I'll put in the show notes, the barstool um, uh, article, which is really funny, but do you have any, like, do you, do you from memory have stats on how big this thing is? The bracket on the JW Marriott? I'll have to find, I'll have to find it. It's pretty funny. It's at least 17 floors. I know that. Dear so, God. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's massive. Um, I think the fun fact about it, which has never happened for obvious reasons, you know, we, we did the bracket before, but it was almost fully complete, right? Because the, it was just the final four and we had the final four teams. We updated it after the, you know, the semifinals and then we updated it after the final. We will literally live update the bracket. With cranes and stuff. Yeah, the selection awesome. Sunday, we'll, we'll populate it. After the first game, we'll pick the winners. We'll move them forward. That's After so the next awesome. day, it, it's literally going to be a living, breathing um, advertisement for for three weeks, three plus weeks. It's going to be really an incredible moment. The teams are all going to have an opportunity to get their 
photo in front of it, you know, um, donor staff, community, like it's just going to be such a special iconic moment. I, you know, I think about, I should know this and I don't, but I think about the uh, mascot for the Pan Am games. Help me out here. Somebody remember this. You're both looking at me blankly. Oh, well, you're, you, you were the guy who would have been here back for the Pan Am games and Michael and I were. Yeah, fair Ryan, enough. <laughs> yeah. Ryan was Ryan was. I, I don't five. think it was UP. I think he was the Montreal Olympics guy, so I'm not sure it was him. No, I failed I, the history I, test. Yeah, no, I, but it, but that was like the iconic iconic thing. It was on every T-shirt. It was it was everywhere. Um, and so yeah, though that that's the that's going to be the thing that people remember, and and to have it updated live and to, uh, you know, j- just for people to come down and experience, I think is be super cool. I love the visceral, tangible aspect of that, Ryan, that you bring up because, like you said, it was already pretty much populated and you just kind of put the final, final winners on there in previous years. And I think about, like, when you think about the Green Monster at Fenway Park and, you know, that uh, iconic scoreboard where they, like, slip in the, you know, each inning score uh, by hand or the golf tournament where somebody is in a different part of the course and they don't know the Tiger just birdied a 15 until the number uh, at Augusta goes up on that. Uh, that manual scoreboard somewhere else. We're going to have that experience with our bracket this year, and that's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. You got yet yeah, Gonzaga. That'll be intriguing. Baylor. Um, multiple Big Ten teams. It'll be it'll be great. Um, and and you know it's like man. I mean, God bless the fathers and mothers of the city over the past three generations who even. You know, I feel I feel like we're all standing on their shoulders. You know what I mean? Just just the, who built this whole infrastructure. Um, Really, really fortunate. And, and I'm just blessed that I'm close enough in age to them and not your guys' age that I get my shot. Uh, Whatever. Jay shot this weekend. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> um, Leonard and Ryan, thank you guys so much. I, I just, I love thinking about this. Like, it's like the, it's like the transition event to, to get us back outside after a year of being hunkered down. Um, we're the best city in America that can pull something like this off safely. And uh, I'm just I'm 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 super excited about the the next few weeks. So thanks again for spending time. My pleasure. I was hoping to um, offer more jabs at Leonard and maybe a few at you during the interview, but um, you know I think it went really well. So thank, thank you, you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I appreciate being invited, uh, Michael. And I was really touched when Ryan says he wants to go travel with me again. <laughs> I would love to do that. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right, take care. Thanks, Mike. See you, Ryan.